Let's get into the word here, though. Deuteronomy 5, and again, this is the repeating of the law. Again, Deuteronomy means to repeat the law or say again. We know it's that second generation um, that, that's going to be going into the promised land, and so they're getting prepped, and they're getting prepared. And uh, we know in Deuteronomy, there's been a lot of recapping of kind of where they've been and how God's been faithful to them and how God's brought them victory there east of the Jordan. Um, it's Moses going over with them things they had done wrong to learn from as well as some things they had done right to continue in. And as we come here to Deuteronomy 5, it's, 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 it's a lot of it is a reiteration of Exodus chapter 20, where again, we get those 10 commandments. And last week, again, we started there. I think we looked at the first seven verses of Deuteronomy 5, but the first verse, it says, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. And we just pointed out that he called all of Israel. And uh, this was the standard for all of them. And he told them to hear the word, to learn the word, and to observe the word and to learn, you know, hear and learn and observe or, or walk in, again, these commandments that he is going to give them, these 10 commandments, which no doubt they had heard growing up. But now it's a thing where, again, they're going to the promised land and God's saying, you're taking my law in there with me or with you. And this law was in part, again, to, to govern them. And we'll see tonight in the text and we've seen it in other places, he says, listen, go and walk in this that it will be well with you. Go and put these statutes before you to govern your, your nation and to guide it and direct it. And um, you know what? They knew and no doubt the Lord knew they would fall short, but go in there with a heart to say, this is what we want to strive for. This is what we want to live up to. This is you know, the standard. This is what we want to be the normal where it talks about morality and, and not committing adultery, that we say this is the normal thing. You get married and you stay married and you stay faithful to your wife. And this is the standard of the culture. And in the culture, listen, we don't accept lying and stealing and so forth. And it's going to happen here and there, but it's not the standard. And we want to deal with it when it comes up in the proper way and so forth. And, and, and yet this would be given, and yet so many times they would just drift away from it. And they would get away from it. And boy, when, it, when a nation, again, just drifts away from God's standard and what God wants, and when, it, when that's not, again, what, what the heart of the people would say, hey, we want to do things the right way, we want to do things God's way, and, and, you know, it begins to drift, and then it will get to the point where it's just the opposite of that. And you look at our nation today, and so much it's the opposite of that, where, where you know, what the crazy thing is, you know, to have a faithful marriage and, and, until death do you part and so forth. And, uh, you know, so many of these other things. The normal thing is to take God's name in vain and so forth. I mean, you go watch a movie or a show or something, and God's name's taken in vain at every single turn. And if anyone in that, you know, show would say, hey, what are you doing taking the Lord's name in vain? I mean, you, that wouldn't even be there unless it was someone, you know, the butt of the joke or whatever. And so, again, this was given to them so it would go well with them. This wasn't given. These commandments weren't given to run their good time. God didn't say, hey, I want you all to come here. I want to give you the list of how to, how to be party poopers, and here you go. You know, how to destroy your life. This was how you're going to be blessed, and again, how it will go well with you. These are, these are commandments with promises that, that you'll live long and so forth. Uh, so he gave them to that. He said, listen, hear and learn and observe these things. And, uh, of course, we talked about last week how that this would also, though, show them 
that they can't live up to these things. Again, this is a standard, and it's something with the law of God. It's, it's kind of twofold. It should be the standard. It should be something we strive for and so forth. And in Christ, it says, let, in the word it says, let all who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How do we know iniquity? We look at the law of God. And so we want to, listen, hold up the law in that sense. But the law also shows us that we can't hold it up. And it shows us that we need a savior because God's standard is us fulfilling all of this perfectly at every turn and we, we don't. We break his law continually. So he gave them the law as well to show them that they needed a savior. And it's interesting in the next few things before he actually starts breaking down the law again, we see a picture of that. Because again, notice two through five, it says, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Oreb, and the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, and you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain, he said. And again, this is when God gave them the law. They made this covenant, and they, they saw the awesomeness of God, the fire of God, and they even said, we got to get back from here. And, and God even said, yeah, that's a good idea. You need to get back from here. And they said, Moses, you go in between us and God. You be that mediator. And again, it was a picture of Jesus Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. Uh, it, it, it was a picture of them understanding, again, we, we need a, a go-between. And the law shows us this. We need a go-between. It is our tutor. It teaches us that we need a Savior. We need the Lord. And, um, you know, in and of ourselves, we, we, again, God's a consuming fire, and, and our sin... Um, absolutely keeps us from from having that relationship with him but praise god we got that mediator in the lord jesus christ and we see a picture another picture of him verse six because says i'm the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage and how were they brought out by the blood of the lamb and uh, again jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world so again we got to keep that in mind this law is given to help govern them to separate them from the pagan nations around them it's to be the standard. It should be the thing that they raise their kids in an understanding that, listen, you strive not to lie and cheat and steal and covet and take the Lord's name in vain and all these various things. But at the same time, again, they saw that I fall short in this. And, and, and so, again, I, I, it's a tutor. It teaches me that I need a Savior because this is God's standard. And, and as hard as I even try on myself, I don't measure up. But again, there's one who does measure up. It's the Lord Jesus Christ whom all of this, again, was written pointing them towards the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in our passage this Sunday, we'll see Jesus talks about Moses, and he talks about Moses spoke of me. And in, in all of these things, you go and listen, every page of the Bible, you're going to find in the Old Testament, you're going to find a picture of Jesus. And as we've been going through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, now in Deuteronomy, we keep seeing Jesus over and over and over again. There's been some pages where I haven't found him, but I know he's there. But he's on, you know, we see him over and over and over again. Because that was the bigger thing with this. The law given to them to show them they need the Savior. So, again, he reiterates the Ten Commandments next. And last week we looked at the first one in verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. And you could say this is the governing you know, commandment over the other nine. Now, we know that the Lord said, 
uh, on these two principles are both the, are all Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about how the first four commandments have to do with man's relationship with God. The next six, it's man's relationship with other men, which also has to do with their relationship with God. And so Jesus said, listen, if, if, you, if you do these, if you love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, you know, you're going to fulfill the commandments. Uh, and, and you could say that this is the commandment over all of that, and that if you had no other gods before God all the days of your life and every moment of your life, if he was always first, all the other commandments would be kept. Because if you look at all the other commandments, really, when you transgress them, you're putting something above God. You're making something other than God, God. And that other something is usually just ourselves. As we looked at last week there in Philippians 3, 17 through 19, where it talks about those that are enemies of the cross and they serve the God of their belly. And you even think about it, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, you know, it wasn't so much that they were saying, hey, yeah, we want to follow this serpent and we want him to be our God, though in a way they were doing that, but it was more so we want to be our own God. Because Satan didn't say, if you eat of the tree, uh, I'll be your God instead. No, it was, if you eat of the tree, God knows you'll be like God. And so they eat of that tree saying, we want to be our own God. And, and, and you just see this, whether men want to acknowledge it or not, in, in man's rebellion, those that reject the Lord, if they're rejecting God, they're rejecting the word of God, the gospel, what are they doing? They're saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, like in the book of Judges. And, and it's one of those things that if he's not your God, ultimately, I don't care if you worship the devil or Buddha or Allah or whatever, you know, your doorknob, whatever you want to say, ultimately, you're, you are serving the God of your belly. You're saying, I'll do as I will. It's just going to look different. Some people are trying to worship a stack of money. Others, uh, again, you know what, uh, their trophy case, their, their uh education but ultimately it is them doing their own thing doing it the way they want to do it when he says you have no other gods before me again when we transgress in these other areas we're putting ourselves above him and so we we've all been guilty of this day in and day out since the time we were birthed even as believers i mean how many times do we put our will above the lord's will I mean, are we going to be truthful about it? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Where, you know, hopefully there's a wrestling match going on in it between our spirit and our flesh. And the Bible talks about the flesh that makes war against our soul. But there's many days and moments and times when the flesh wins out, doesn't it? And uh, again, doesn't that tonight make you rejoice that you got a Savior who always put the will of the Father first? I mean, think about that at every single turn. And, and, and Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with what was about to come upon him. And he was wrestling as a man. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, you know what, to bring salvation, let that happen. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And he went to the cross. Why? Because there was no other way. We needed a perfect savior, a sinless man to die for sinners. And so you, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we, again, get on 
you know what a, a, a you know what a, a a pattern of doing our own thing that ultimately we're serving the God of our belly and as, as Christians we can do that and areas of compromise and you know we'll make a small well, you know just you know it's just a little thing over here I'm just dabbling over here I gotta have some fun I've, I've heard Christians say that well I gotta have something you know it's like I got my little side sin over here and 95 percent you know you know, we fool ourselves. 95% of me sold out, but I got this 5% over here, and eventually I'll give that up. And it's just a small thing. You know what we're doing there? We're, we're, we're putting the God of our belly over the God of heaven. That sounds a lot bigger than that, you know, little sin that we've rationalized. And, you know, it's okay. I, I'm going to have a little bit of bitterness over here. You know, I, I deserve a little bit of bitterness because I was really hurt. And it makes me feel good when I'm bitter and I talk about it. And uh, my bitterness feels better when I slander the person that did this to me. It never makes you feel better. You know, sin at the time is pleasurable. But you never walk away from those conversations filled with the Holy Spirit, do you? But we rationalize. It's just a little thing. But this is bigger than that. Again, we're, we're putting ourselves above God. We're putting the God of our belly above him. And I think that that maybe can help encourage us. Because as Christians, we love the Lord, right? Can we say amen to that? And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And, and loving God isn't, and loving the Lord isn't just a feeling, though there's feelings involved. You know, we're not, you know, brick and mortar. I mean, we, we got emotions and things. And, but sometimes those feelings aren't there. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how you know you love God and you love the others. You keep my commandments. And even when the Lord says, you know what, the commandments are fulfilled and love the Lord your God, their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is when you keep the commandments, you're loving God and loving your neighbor. And I've heard even people take that back and they say, well, I lie all the time, but it's okay because I love the people I'm lying to. You know? <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. You know, I take God's name in vain all the time, but I love God, so I'm actually keeping the commandments while breaking them. And grace, brother, we're under grace, and that gives us freedom to love God while breaking all the commandments. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. This is like saying you, you love your wife while you're out dating someone else. But I love her because we're in a covenant, even though I'm doing all these other things. So again, hopefully that's a truth that's not it, hopefully it's not a truth that, that is restricting, but instead liberating. And that I want to honor God. And, and, you know, Jesus said the truth will set you free. And sometimes even those truths that seem like small truths that are bigger truths that, you know, when I'm practicing these things, I'm serving the God of my belly, not the God of heaven. I think that can be a liberating truth. Where even when we're tempted to walk in those things, we remember you should have no other God before me. And really, do you want another God before you? Because I found the God of heaven, the real God, leads me a whole lot better when he's before me than when I put something else before him. It's the difference between walking in the light and walking in, again, the darkness. And, you know, you start walking in the dark and, like me the other night, I tripped over the laundry basket and I didn't actually do a facial. I was able to catch myself with my cat-like re reaction and so forth. But it didn't feel good to the shins, you know. So... Verse 8, he says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands uh, to, the, to, to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, you see that. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Now, listen, this second commandment, in a way, it goes along with the first in that, I mean, you can put a, a God before God, the God of heaven in your heart. Uh, this would be kind of the manifestation of that, of actually making a carved image in the likeness of, again, the sun or the moon, the heavens above, or an angel or a demon, uh, the earth beneath, uh, you know, a, something in the a beast of the field, the water, and then actually bowing down before it to serve it. And remember, again, they got delivered out of there in Israel, and Moses did go up to talk to God, and he was up there 40 days, and they're like, hey, what happened to this Moses fellow? And that's like the language that's used. Like, you know who Moses is. Hey, what happened to that Moses character? They start using that kind of language. And uh, Aaron goes, hey, well, give me all your gold. And remember, they looted Egypt when they left. And, and God, it was their back pay for being slaves for 450 years or 400 years. And Aaron says, give me that gold. And it says that he made a golden calf. Like, he, he formed it. He was obviously an artist. They put it in the fire and they brought it out and said, here's the Lord that brought you out of, out of Egypt. Bow down and worship it. And, a, and basically an orgy broke out. And it was the manifestation of putting another God before the God of heaven. And then Moses, God, Joshua's like, hey, it sounds like there's war in the camp. And God says to Moses, you better get down there. They're falling into idolatry. And Moses goes down and he says, what's going on? And Aaron's like, I don't know what happened. They gave me their gold. And I put in the fire, and this thing just popped out. <laughs> Boy, you talk about, you start breaking the commandments, it's like a domino effect, right? It's like, you stinking liar, that's not what happened. Aren't you glad we never do that? <laughs> so again, this would literally taking something made that you can see and worshiping it. And, and you know, there, there, that's being, there's, there's a lot of people around the world that do that. It's becoming more and more in the West as the East invades the West with the idolatry and those types of things. But, but this can be like, you know, how many people worship their houses or their vehicles or their body or whatever else, and, and it, it becomes an idol. And um, again, the Lord's warning him here. He says, I'm a jealous God. And we talked about that last week, I believe, of how this isn't like God being jealous of, you know, he, he, you got a, a, a girlfriend you're not even in covenant with or someone you like and someone else likes and I'm jealous you know I really want to see that guy go down it's not that and I talked about Oprah Winfrey when she said she left Christianity because she heard the pastor read that God's a jealous God and I don't want to serve a God that that's that's so petty he's jealous that's not what that's his meaning don't think that God's jealousy is like man's sinful jealousy this is God saying I love you I made you I gave you breath and even after you sinned against me I want to see you saved so I'm going to go after you because I care about you. We should rejoice tonight that God is jealous. He loves you so much that he's jealous when you're worshiping an idol because he knows that thing will destroy you and he's the giver of life and he wants to bestow it upon you. We should rejoice that our God's a jealous God. Amen. And then he says here, I visit iniquity on the fathers upon the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. And again, this would be the, the, 
the ramification of worshiping something other than God is God saying, I'm not going to bless idolatry because I love you so much. I'm so jealous for you. If you're going to go worship idols, that I'm going to let that iniquity come and wreak havoc upon you. Why? So that you would repent. So that you would turn from those things. And notice, this is heavy words here. He's saying here, if you serve images or adultery, idolatry or put other gods before him, he says, you're hating me. Well, you say those are strong words. How can he say that? Because he said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. But if you don't keep them, you hate me. You're hating God. But we got this all twisted today because we, we in the West hinge everything around feelings and how I feel and how something makes me feel. And there are so many, again, commandment breakers that, that practice breaking the commandments of God. There's so many even in, I don't want to say Christians, but so much in Christendom that even promote breaking the commandments of God. I mean, we're in a time right now where, listen, there is a homosexual mafia that is just forcing its way through the front doors of the church. And you see even so many once evangelical churches making provision for it. And it's not that God doesn't love those folks. He loves us as much as those that are in heterosexual sin. But God's word doesn't change. And making provision for it. And they say, oh, we're loving over here. We're so loving. It's like you're hating God and you're hating these people that you're telling that this is okay. You know the only person you're loving in that is yourself. Because you don't want to rock the boat. You want to be popular. You don't want to offend anybody. But listen, in the process of offending some people, a few folks might get born again and saved. A few people might get delivered. Aren't you glad when you came into church that, you know what, they didn't, they didn't tell you, hey, you know what, yeah, we, we, we know that you're a swindler and a fornicator, uh, but that's okay, you can bring that in here. You know, you can be a swindling, fornicating, born-again Christian. I, I didn't get that message. Why are certain sins today catered to? I'll tell you why. It's the lies of the enemy. It absolutely is. It, it's, it's the church not standing up and standing in truth and being salt and light. And you see, even now, we're evangelicals churches say, well, you know what? You know, the, the, some of these people, they have these tendencies, and they can't do anything about it. So as long as they don't practice those things, then, yeah, you're, you're, you're a born-again homosexual. And I'm not trying to pick on homosexuals tonight, but this is, this is the cart Satan is riding in to try to trample the church, to try to take all our rights away, to try, to try to force her to be quiet and say, this is all hate speech. Um, so it's, it's just, you just see it going, you know, all around us. And, and again, you see a bending a knee to it and, and an embracing of it. And um, it's just sad because it's hating God is what it's doing. It's absolutely hating the Lord. And he says, I'm going to visit the iniquity upon these that practice these things. And listen, if, go talk to someone that's really in that lifestyle. They're going to tell you how brutal it is. It really is. The domestic violence is, if, I don't even know if that's the right wording. But listen, normally if a boyfriend and a girlfriend get in a fight, the dude doesn't send her to the hospital crushing in her skull. It happens from a few punks here and there, but generally that's not even accepted in the world. A couple fellows are dating. You know what happens when they get into a fight? They brutalize each other. 
the average age is 42 years old for a gay male. That's when they die. Between abuse and sexual disease. Between colon cancer and all of the various, or all the various things that are just taking that lifestyle over. And, and, and God so desperately wants to deliver people. But again, you got a lot of haters of God saying, boy, we're not gonna stand on these commandments. And God says, you hate me. You're hating me when you're not honoring my word. You're hating me when you don't want to stand in the sanctity of marriage. You're hating me when you set up these idols to worship them. And, and what are we going to go with? God's word or our feelings? Because today it's like, but, but that doesn't feel very loving because you've been brainwashed. These things even go against nature. It's not just that area. It's so many other areas. And again, listen, if you're here tonight and you, you, you struggle with that issue, God wants to deliver you. I know what I was going. I lost my train of thought them saying that, you know what, you can have those tendencies and you can be, you know what, a gay Christian. That's like saying a heterosexual guy that grew up on pornography, well, you know what, he just has those feelings to lust all these other women with his wife. He can't do anything about it, so look at, you know what, honey, you just gotta be able to deal with it because those are just in them. Listen, all that stuff can be crucified. There's something called the renewal of the mind. The Bible says such for some of you. Now, if you want to feed yourself on that stuff and get coached up that it's okay, you have those feelings and those desires, and sadly, that's what a lot of the church is doing. That's wrong. That's not who you are in Christ. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. Anyhow, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's just God saying, listen, Worship me. Don't worship these things that you make with your hands. I'm spirit and truth. Worship me. And, and your family's gonna be blessed by it. And if you don't, it's gonna affect the third and fourth generation. You gotta remember those days, usually the third and fourth generation all lived in the same household. We're in a transient culture today. But back then, you know what? The parents would have kids and they'd have kids. And listen, they, they'd take care of the little ones. And when they got older, they took care of the old ones. That, that was God's plan. And so the third or fourth generation, you know, we think about, you know, our, our great-grandpa we never saw before, they grew up with them. And if they had carved images in that home and that child's being raised with those carved images, not good. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And again, this should have been the normal for them, and it should be the normal for us. But boy, it's not the normal, is it? I mean, taking the Lord's name in vain is basically throwing it around in an unreverent way, whether it's in cursing or whether it's just in OMGs and texting. It's taking God's name in vain. It's not honoring God's name. It's, it's not worshiping God. It's the opposite of it. It's making light of his person. And it's just really important as Christians that we don't give in to those temptations, even in the small things. We should cringe when someone says, Lordy, 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 Lordy. Like you just took God's name in vain three times there. Amen. That's not said in a reverent way. Or when you get that OMG, you know, the, the Christians texting OMG. Don't text me that. I don't want to see that. Unless you want to put OM goodness. And you know what? And, and it's not me trying to be like, listen, I grew up around cussing, whatever. I've, I've, I've heard it all. It's not something that like, you know, oh, you know, you're offending him. You're offending God. We, we need to get back to truth in these things. God's to be revered, amen. God's holy. 
We're, we're, to, we're to walk in holiness, to be set apart. He says here next, I got to get going here. He says next, we talked a lot about this Sunday, so this won't take a long time, but 12 through 15, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you uh, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of the cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant, notice, may rest as well as you. Amen. And remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And again, we talked about this in great detail Sunday, that God gave them the Sabbath in part that they would rest, that their servants would rest, that their animals would be able to rest. It would serve them well in the long run. But it was also that they would stop and remember that he is God. And it's interesting, he says, you know, you were slaves, and when you're a slave, you don't get a rest. When you're a slave there in Egypt, Remember, even when Moses came along and said, let my people go and turn the water into blood. And then Pharaoh came back and he said, you need to make the same amount of bricks, but you don't get any of the straw. That's a harsh taskmaster, right? And he says, remember, that's where you were. I'm giving you this to bless you. Uh, it was also, again, a reminder of, of, of the six-day creation. We talked a lot of the reasons for it. But here's the big thing. You were slaves in Egypt and now you need to come and you need to rest. And again, what's the picture of this in the Old Testament? We were slaves to sin, and what's our rest now? It's not a day, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. Rest in the Lord. Don't ever start thinking that you're saved through Christ plus works. That's breaking the Sabbath. And that will get you to hell too, because it's in him and him alone that we're saved. Go read the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians revolves around who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians. What began in the spirit cannot be perfected in the flesh. And yet you see it in so much of Christianism today where you're saved through Jesus plus it's usually you're a member of our church and you tithe here. That's usually what's tacked on. And that's a lot of people don't get today. Roman Catholicism, it's all based on works. Works. It's not Jesus finishing the work at the cross. That's why they still have him on the cross in his churches. He's not on that anymore. He paid the price and he rose from the grave. Amen. But it's Jesus plus all the sacraments you got to do. And yet you see the evangelical the church today embracing Catholicism. We're all one. We're not one. Well, maybe they're one, but I'm not one with that. Amen. My Sabbath is in Jesus. I'm not saved through church membership, through infant baptism, through Hell Marys and whatever else, you know what, Ash Wednesdays or whatever, Friday, whatever. I don't even know what it is. I don't want to know what it is. We're saved through him and him alone. And it, listen, it's not just Catholicism. And there's some folks in there that get it and they come out of it and they get saved. And I say, how did that happen? Like, I started reading my Bible. But again, it's, it's so much of what's called evangelical churches today where they're embracing all this stuff. And it's, it's generally men wanting to control other men by saying it's Jesus plus all this stuff you gotta do. We came out of our bondage through faith in the Lord. Rejoice in him tonight. Listen, that's the blessed assurance that we have. We have freedom in the Lord. 
Again, Colossians 2.16, let no man judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. And as Moses preached this and gave this to them, he was preaching Jesus Christ to them. Jesus is our Sabbath. Verse 16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. Now I start talking about men's relationship with each other and God's a God of order. And again, he made the family before he ever made the church or anything else or the nation of Israel. And again, the fathers were to raise their children in the admonition of the Lord, not provoking them to wrath. And the children then were to honor their parents as long as, again, the parents aren't asking them to sin. And he says, in doing this, listen, your days are going to be long, and, and listen, they're going to be well. Why? Because you're learning to respect authority. You're learning to follow instruction. Most parents love their kids and are going to say, don't go play in the street. Versus go play in the street. If you play in the street, your days may not be long, right? This all makes sense. And this was also, again, a command that if they, were, if they honor their parents who they see, then they're going to honor God who they don't see. But again, this has been turned upside down in its head today. And you better believe there's a huge push for children's rights in the world today. And we're not talking about child labor laws and that kind of thing, but for children to be able to make their own decisions and become little adults. And listen, I won't go too far down the conspiracy hole for you, but you know who the main people pushing that are? It, it's, a, it's, a, a, it, it's an agenda pushed by pedophiles in high places. Because they want 12-year-old little boys to be able to consent with 38-year-old men. It absolutely is. And it goes back to the, 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 the ancient mystery religions and all of the worship of Biel and all the stuff you see in the Old Testament that those pagan nations practice because, again, it is, a, it is a portal that opens up demonic worship and powers of, of, of Satanism and so forth um, that, that makes the exorcist look like, you know what, tiddlywinks or something. And that's the kind of world we're living in. I know some people want to bury their head in the sand, but that's the case. But the Bible says honor your father and your mother. Notice it say you honor, honor the government. Yeah, again, we need to give taxes and that thing. But honor your father and mother. Why? Because the father and mother are supposed to be heading up the household. Not Bill and Hillary or whoever else. And hopefully that household is under the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. You shall not murder. Again, God's the giver of life. The Bible makes provision for self-defense. The Bible makes provision for nations going to war against other nations. Again, there are some righteous wars in the scriptures. There's been some righteous wars in the history of the world. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about an individual taking it upon himself to kill someone else. And it didn't take long for that to happen. Cain killed Abel, again, that second generation. And just so you know, we talked about this recently, and I won't go over the scriptures, but the reason for the death penalty is because God loves men so much. 
that if you kill someone else in murder versus manslaughter or self-defense, he says your life is required of you. And some people say, oh, that's not very loving. You know, that's anti the pro-life stance. How can these people be pro-life for babies in the womb, but then pro-death penalty? It's all about pro-life. Because he's saying here, if you're so willing, if you're willing to take someone else's life, you need to know I love that life so much that you took. I'm going to take your life or your life's going to be required of you. Again, God's the giver of life. This should be the normal, the standard. I'll tell you a culture that has a death penalty. And again, with two or three witnesses, we're not talking about, again, these things need to be established firmly. The Bible gives all the provision for that. It's a better culture. It's a better culture. My dad grew up in utter poverty. I hear some of these gangster stories today. It's like, you, you haven't heard anything where they were committing every single crime you could think of. And he said, the only reason I never murdered anybody because in the state of Utah and Idaho, I knew I'd get the death penalty if I killed somebody. And that kept me, kept us from killing. Because we knew there was no joke back then. You're going to die if you do that. So it's a good thing to have those things in place in a culture. Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, if you're ang- 5.22, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you'll, you should be in danger in judgment. And, and basically he says here that if you hate in your heart before God, it's like the sin of murder. And so we don't want that in our heart. Praise God in all of this. You know what? Jesus laid his life down for murderers. He died in the place of Barabbas. Remember, he was a murderer. And he died in the place for us so we could have eternal life and know we have our sins forgiven. Again, this shows us we need the Savior, and the Savior laid down his life for people that at times walk with great hatred and at times have even in the course of, of, of history of mankind, many have been murdered by others. Verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. And again, this would be the breaking of the marriage vow, which is the only sanctioned sexual relations ordained by God in the scriptures. Again, one man and one woman. Jesus was questioned about this in Matthew 19, uh, about marriage. And he goes right back to what was given by God the Father in Genesis He says, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's it. That's what's ordained by God. And adultery is every sexual relationship outside of that. Guy and a gal together, they're not married, having sexual intercourse. Biblically, that's adultery. We call it fornication, but it's adultery in this sense too because later on, listen, this stuff's all broken down under these categories. A couple fellas getting together, completely against God's will. A couple women. I ain't gonna go beyond that, but the Bible does. It gets pretty descriptive. Don't commit it. In fact, back then in Israel, if you committed adultery, the death penalty was to be brought in on you. You take another man's wife. Again, God wanted that to be the norm. What's the norm today? Adultery is the norm. Fornication is the norm, right? Again, you see it all in, 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 in the public square. It's, if, if, there's, if there's some show or movie where there's someone saying, well, I'm saving myself, the whole plot of it is how we're going to get them to break those vows and what a weirdo the person is that they want to honor God. And I guarantee you, again, the divorce rate in our nation is over 50%. A whole lot of it goes back just to fornicating. 
And people committing adultery versus the spouse they'd eventually marry before they ever marry them. It messes you up. Think about it. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother, join to his wife or cleave to his wife, they shall become one flesh. And the picture there is of, is, is two getting glued together, becoming one. Go home and you can experiment with this. Take a couple boards and glue them together tight and then rip them apart. You know what you got? You got two splintered boards. And then go do it again. You got more splintered, more splintered. More, and you got a culture that's just splintered today. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 27, you, shall heard, uh, you have heard it was said in the days of old, you shall, not, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman for her, at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. And you got a culture that is just steeped in pornography, they say the average age now is eight years old that someone first sees pornography. And you got, listen, you got, I, got, I want to be careful in how I say this, but you got young men who get married who can't even consummate their marriage. I think that's a good way of saying that because they're so steeped in adultery. Why, why all these pills and all this stuff today, the bulk of it goes back to pornography, to lust, to, to, to not being able to, again, appreciate the, the wife. And listen, today it's happening on the female side in, in huge numbers, too, where there's addictions over there. Because it, there's endorphins that are released. It's like a drug addiction, and, and it, just, it just destroys cultures. It destroys homes. It destroys families. And again, it's just promoted everywhere. It's like it, it's just creeping around every single corner, is it not? those temptations to lust and so forth. And, and I know for many a man, it's a struggle. Well, listen, at the minimum, at least let it be a struggle. But know there's victory found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people, oh, I struggle with that. Well, actually, you don't. Actually, you make provisions for it. Listen, let's move into actually being a struggle. Let's start there, amen? Versus, I struggle. No, no, actually, you, 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 you fully engage in it. That's not struggling. Part of the way that you know you're a Christian is you actually go out and you wrestle with some stuff. You actually fight. You actually say, I'm going I'm to put up a fight against this. I'm going to stand up in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get bullied by this anymore. I'm going to kick back a little bit. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And sometimes it's like, I got to put my foot down. I got to start fasting. Man, if you struggle with this, I'll tell you how to defeat it. Start fasting and praying. Start skipping some meals, because if you can start saying no to your tongue and your belly, guess what? You can start saying no to other things, too. I talked about it at men's retreats, intermittent fasting. Go look up, go look into it. Start practicing that. You'll, you'll lose your belly, and you'll also gain some self-control. It's a win-win. Your wife will even love you for it, even all the more. Verse 19, you shall not steal. Again, the Bible's huge on property rights. Bible says in Ephesians 4, 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. And again, we have a culture again that's promoting thiefing. It's a government thiefing in many ways. We're gonna steal and we're gonna give over here. That's stealing with a lot of these laws that are a lot of the social justice stuff. It's, it's full on Thiefing. Now, there's also thiefing of taking from someone else. And the Bible says, no, you need to go work. 
You need to work because it makes a productive society and then also so you have actually something you've earned so that you can go give it to someone in need versus, again, a culture where it's just stolen and given to someone else. The Bible's huge on property rights, massive on them. It's a, it's a book of legalities in many ways. Much of our laws are based on the scripture. Verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. He's talking about lying here. There's all kinds of forms of lying. Problem is, Romans 3, 4 says, certainly not, indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. Psalm 116, 11, he says, all men are liars. And uh, boy, it's easy to lie. Oftentimes, again, it's serving the God of your own belly. It's for selfishness. You, 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 sometimes we lie to get something or to promote ourselves, right, to get honor from men. We fudge the books a bit, you know. That, that, that fish keeps getting a little bit bigger. Why? We want that honor from men. What are we doing? Are we serving the God of heaven? No, we're serving the God of our belly. Let me get honor from men. Jesus said, and it's in the text this Sunday as well, he said, I did not come to get honor from men. He came to obey the Father. But again, we know that Satan is the father of lies. It's a culture where, that we're in today where there's so many lies that are even like justified today and so forth. Again, it's, it's sad when a culture gets away from lying look being, being, being a shameful thing to being something that's just practiced in so many different ways and avenues. Real quick here, verse 21. He says, you should not covet your neighbor's wife nor desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So again, covet to desire or to lust after what isn't yours. And it always goes through the eyes. Seeing that, I want that. The original sin, again, the woman saw the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. Don't be led by your eyes. Amen. The Bible says that, that godliness or, or godly contentment is of great gain. When you're content what you have in godliness. It's not saying contentment's great gain because some people are content in their sin, but godly contentment. I'm gonna rest in the Lord. I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. I'm just gonna be thankful for where I am. Boy, it's of great gain. Boy, you wanna have a lot of more, more peace and joy in your life? Start studying what godly contentment is and practicing it. It is a liberating truth. Liberating. It is a horrendous life to live coveting everyone else's stuff, being driven by jealousy and envy. And again, even when you get what you want that you think is going to bring you fulfillment, it never does. Amen. It's always short-lived. Well, gosh, I need to make it through the end of the chapter here. Uh, I think it's worthy of taking a little bit of time on this. This is some pretty huge stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll go through the rest of this real quick, Lord willing, next week, and I think we'll get through the next chapter, but let's just stop there. A lot of truth there. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your word, your goodness. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are the liberator. You are the deliverer, that you were tempted at every point, yet you did not sin. Lord, at every point, you were tempted as we are, and yet you did not sin. You were tempted to covet and to lie and to commit adultery and to steal and to take your father's name in vain and all these things. And you never did and you always did what you were supposed to do according to the word and the will of God. I pray that tonight we'd rejoice in that, God. And I pray, God, that, Lord, even in 
rejoicing in you laying down your life for us all the more, God. We would say, I want to live a life set apart for the Lord. And tonight you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, God, to help us in that endeavor. Because we do know the, the flesh wars against the soul, God. Renew our minds, God. Strengthen us in you tonight, God. And listen, if you haven't called on the Lord, we've talked about the gospel tonight and the work of the cross the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's saying, I don't want to be the, serve the God of my belly. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Wash me and cleanse me and be my Lord. And he'll meet you where you're at. He absolutely will. Lord, bless the rest of our night. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.